heavy duty stuff tonight. Yes, sir. Good stuff. Ricky, how are you? Good, good. Just running around like usual. Yeah. How, how's uh your vacay, your your little getaway? It's good. It's all good. I should be at the pool, but I'd rather do this. <laughs> the pool will be there. So I'm com- I'm compromising. I'm having a. I'm just gonna have a beer while we do this. There you go. Sam better show up since this was his oh, idea. Yeah, he's he's here. He's jumping in now. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I figure like. Obviously, the homelessness uh, issue. Sam's intrigued with that, and living in uh, California, he he's much closer to that issue than than some of us. But uh, I think it also intertwines with the poverty issue, and I think there's a lot of conflicting opinions on how to resolve that. You know, um, and and just uh, tons of different philosophies on on how, what are the causes of it. So I think there's a lot of like interesting roads we can go down with this topic. So it'll, it'll be fun to kind of get everybody's input and. See what everybody thinks and, and, you know, with everybody having different backgrounds and, and personal philosophies, it'll be interesting to see what they think. I think we're like all one bad decision away from homelessness ourselves, too, you know? True. Like one, one medical uh, incident with no insurance and trouble, you know? Or like one choice not to get an experimental medication. Yeah. It's so, 7 o'clock. So, you guys want to start streaming? Yeah, let's start. Yeah. I'm very excited. Why delay? Here we go. Do it live. Press the multitude of buttons over here. All right, Union of the Unwanted back. October 10th, 2022. Ricky, take it away. What's up, everybody? Another episode of the Union of the Unwanted. I'll remind you guys, it's uh, usually live streamed every other Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern time on Rockfin. And then within a couple of days, it's available on all the audio platforms. And it's also available on Odyssey. So check that out. Typically, I tell you to go to theunionofthewanted.com to find all our links. But apparently somebody must have linked our OnlyFans or a Pornhub page to our uh, Linktree page because we got kicked off Linktree, weirdly enough. So uh, that we're going to have to redirect that URL, uh, and we'll fix that shortly. But we are on Rockfin. We're on Odyssey. We're on Twitter, Instagram. And I'm sure if you do a little bit of searching, you'll find all those links. And today we have a, a fun topic. That's kind of one of the reasons we love these shows is we get a bunch of interesting people. And we try to just, uh, you know, filter out good ideas and bad ideas and, and bounce everything off one another. And, uh, Sam wanted, uh, he actually suggested this topic and I think it's a really good topic. Uh, we're going to talk about a little bit of the homelessness problem, poverty problem, causes, solutions, and much more. So Sam, you want to get into why maybe you wanted to talk about this and then we can expand from there? Yeah, man. Thank you, Ricky. I appreciate it. Good to see everybody. And thank you to all of our guests for joining us. Um, I just feel like this is an issue that is affecting Everywhere, you know, it used to be like New York City or maybe L.A., but now it seems to be no matter where you go, 
there seems to be a crisis of homelessness. And, you know, for me, it's like, I don't know what, like, cause I don't know what the answer, I would love to help. And that's why I wanted to bring in a bunch of people that I know have been working really hard on trying to figure out, uh, you know, solutions that treat people like human beings and help them get off the streets. Cause you know, uh, I struggled with alcohol and drugs and I know that I was, again, like we said earlier, just one kind of crazy decision away from being on the streets. And I can't imagine what happens when, if you fall through the cracks and no one's there to pull, um, put a hand out to catch you. So uh, I don't know where anybody wants to begin, but I, I, I would just love to figure out a way because, you know, it's a real big issue right now. And we all want to get these politicians in who want to take care of the problem. But do we actually have real solutions that treat people humanely and help them get back into the workforce, find a roof over their head. And what do we do with the people who don't want to do that? So I, I find all this to be a very interesting topic. So whoever wants to jump in, please do. And uh, if you're new here, introduce yourself and where people can find you. And like, let's have a, let's have a, uh, an, what I consider to be a very important uh, conversation. Anybody can jump in. And maybe we could start even with like what some people think might be the cause of the 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 problems, the the poverty, the I mean I know some people are going to think it's government, some people might think it's, you know, other issues. I mean, is it is it in the system that we've created? Is it something deeper? Is it something else? Uh so feel free, yeah. To, so I uh oh. so a, a few years ago, like back when I was living downtown Columbus, Ohio, uh there were a few homeless guys that were kind of out back of my apartment complex. And I saw him there for a few weeks. And so one day I said, hey, guys, can I interview you? I'll give you guys some money, sit down, and let's talk. I broke out my recorder and just started to listen to their story. They were probably in their 30s. One guy was in their 30s. One guy was probably mid-40s. Uh, and by all accounts, the one guy, he said he owned property. He had access to a house, but he chose to want to be on the streets. He chose to want to uh, be out there. And he just liked it. He didn't want to be held down by anything, any obligations, answering to anybody. He, he, I, I, what I got out of it, he appreciated the freedom of it and he did have a place to go, but he didn't want to go there. The other guy was tagging along with them and they're kind of like, uh, they're, they're buddies. Uh, they, they knew that there were opportunities. Then they knew that there were shelters they could go. But they didn't want to deal with the shelters. They said that's basically a trap for them. And so they chose to live on the streets. I will add to that that uh, I actually experienced homelessness when I was young. My parents were, um, I guess, just huge fuck-ups in many ways. So so we ended up without a home more than once. Um, and so when you're asking, like, what the cause is, it, it really is their fault. I, I look back and see that they... Uh, my father died later on, but my mom can look back and see that as well, uh, that this is what they basically chose, different from what you're describing, Mike, in that they didn't say, like, you know what, let's just be homeless with our kids. But at the same time, they didn't create enough uh, structure and, um, you know, money, basically, for the, for themselves to support three kids and keep a home. So they know that, right? And they did choose to drink and do other things that uh, both waste money and also make it less likely that you're going to become responsible suddenly. 
Uh, so they made a lot of poor choices and it, and it put us in situations where we were then homeless and didn't always have food and, and these things. And so I look back and I can see this factor of personal responsibility being a really important part of this discussion. And I do think there's a whole other side of this coin that, that we did not experience, which is like mental illness and, you know, deep drug addiction and that sort of yeah. thing. They did have drug addiction going on, but it wasn't the same as what we're going to probably talk about in, you know, the 10 cities and the things that we see cropping up now. Um, but, you know, my, we had alcoholism, my father had alcoholism and um, abused heroin and other things. So, there is a lot of that that is a part of this discussion. And when we finally got out of homelessness, it was because of community programs that gave us the hand up, right? So my mother got grants to go to college. She had to do certain things to get them. She had to do certain things to keep them. And then when she graduated with her associate's degree in nursing, got a job and started being able to take care of everything and get us homes that were stable that we could stay in, which was amazing. Um, she then also got really cool loans that gave us a place to have as our own, but she didn't have to put a huge down payment on it. She didn't have to do the things that you normally would have to do to get a home. So it was basically a project. It was a government project, uh, but it worked because in my opinion, it had the self-responsibility factor involved again. So the people in our neighborhood who were in this project who didn't have uh, the job that she had that had enough money to make payments that they counted sort of as a down payment, they had to go help build their home, their stick built home. They had to actually put in sweat equity. So whether you did it her way and you just had the job and, you know, they could sort of see that you were going to make the payments or you had uh, this sweat equity that you put in, everybody there had a vested interest, right, in creating this place. So I think that was really important looking back as well when we became homed. Uh, that there was self-responsibility involved. Nothing was just handed out for free. And therefore, that whole community, while very, very poor, had like a heart to it. And it had people invested in it who cared about it. I think we've seen that when you throw something at someone for free, it falls apart really quickly, right? We've seen this when we put homeless people who are still in the midst of drug addiction and mental illness in hotel rooms, crashed, you know, for the most part, don't care about it because they didn't have to do anything to get it. They didn't have to put anything into it. They didn't choose it for themselves. Uh, and there is no self-responsibility involved. So that's my main takeaway from my own experience with homelessness is self-responsibility is key. Uh, does anyone want to jump in? Jensen, do you want to jump in? I know that you're a big uh, reason why uh, I wanted to do this show because you were talking to me about some of the work that you were doing in Arizona and like what some of the politicians are doing there and your, your pushback on that. So is there any point you'd like to jump in and kind of give like as a boots on the ground type of a uh, person, well, your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, what, what Lindsay just mentioned, it was great. I'm glad to hear that when she had her experience that there was a program that was able to help her family. Right. Um, I think that there are not enough of those programs, and even in a lot of cities and states where those programs exist, uh, the funding is not is not there. It's there on paper, but it's not allocated to those resources like it should be. So, for example, um, we had a situation here in, in the Phoenix area, specifically Tempe, in the river, river bottom area where about 200-plus homeless people live, right, and you know, they do these – sweeps or called uh, uh, homeless sweeps where they go in these areas and they make the homeless people leave. A lot of times they're 
good good part of the time they're they're harassed by the police they go in they throw all of their belongings away and then these people are kicked out on the street so the city of tempe they're supposed to um follow a a law a policy that says in order for them to do that you know they have to provide some type of housing temporary housing for for the population uh, up to 90 days and unfortunately you don't have that being done and they also have to f- provide storage for their belongings uh anywhere from 30 to 90 days and unfortunately that's not being done so there there's not a group of people or organization to make sure that the city is doing what they're supposed to do so i think like a a checks and balances measure is something that that needs to put in pl- be put in place not only in Tempe but throughout the country, I, I know in Finland, Finland is, is one of one of the countries uh, in, in the world that has done a phenomenal job dealing with with homeless, home, the homeless issue. Um, in 2007, they, they launched a program called Housing First, and it's pretty much total opposite of what's done in the majority of cities here in the United States. Here in the States, you have to go through a lot of red tape in order to to get a home. Right. You have to, um, you know, get certain medical services. You have to get, uh, you know, sobriety, deal with some addiction issues. What Finland did, they did it the other way. They gave they gave the homeless population housing up front. And then <clears throat> from there, uh, they said, OK, now you have to go and take care of these 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 uh, th- these other issues or these meet these requirements in order to stay in the housing. And what they've seen from 2007 to 2014, they had a 40 percent reduction in the homeless population. In fact, in their in their capital, Helsinki, there is uh, nobody on the streets, zero, which which is which is pretty freaking awesome. And uh, I think that the United States can learn from that, um, especially, you know, I don't want to say especially, but I know that here in the Phoenix area, the homeless issue is is way far beyond out of control. There's an area called the. Um, the uh the uh the zone which is in in downtown phoenix and it's the second largest area concentrated area of homeless people in the country only behind skid row in la and it's just uh it's just uh it's sad man And, and like you said sam we're we're out there on a on a weekly basis doing outreach um we we also you know speak at city council um, and that's another thing with the with the politicians right we we have to be able somehow to get like minded people um, in, in these roles that are going to be true, that are going to have integrity, that are not going to be bribed, um, that are not going to, you know, be suspect to any type of corruption, corruption, um, and just to step up to the plate and say, hey, change needs to be made because it affects us all. And then you have people like the the person that's running for governor now, Carrie Lake in Arizona, who has been on record saying some pretty, pretty awful things about the homeless people, you know, so, um, you know, people like her are, are not going to help the the situation here in, in Arizona in the, in the Phoenix specifically the Phoenix area where there all are, are over 6,000 6, homeless people but I think if the United States can you know learn from Finland adapt some of the things that they've been doing with the uh, housing first project that they have going on um, I would like to think that we could have have uh, some much needed success here in, in the country Yeah, well, this goes into and actually stays with us. And I brought it up when I was on uh, his morning show recently about the whole universal basic income idea. It's not obviously a permanent solution. It's not even a great solution, but it might be a better solution. And the argument that's been made, and I guess I would make also and maybe subscribe to some of it, is that the system that we kind of have at the moment, it kind of it it dismotivates people because I know people personally, you know, detail cops, 
uh, police officers who are working details overtime, they won't, don't want to go into a certain tax bracket. So they'll work and work and then they'll stop because, and then they get punished and they get taxed more. It's sort of like, you know what? I can't work anymore. I don't want, it's like, when should, we should never have a system that punishes people who want to work. And then it's the same thing with like people who get a government help with food stamps or anything like that. It's like, you know, you don't want to work too much because then they don't help you anymore. So it's like, if you have universal basic income, then at least everybody has enough money for the necessities. And it's like, you know, society's only as strong as at its weakest link. I believe like, okay, a lot of people are like, well, screw the homeless people, you know, screw people, you know, the people who uh, aren't working, they're lazy, they're this or that. And, um, but the thing is like, you, you can say that, but eventually when they're hungry, they're going to rob you. And it's going to get to a point where it's like, you know, when they need money or they need resources and then you're unsafe. So it's in your best interest that everybody has at least necessities. So if you have universal basic income, everybody would at least have enough money for the necessities. And this, of course, is just in theory, because most likely they'll just they could. Some people could just end up spending it on alcohol or whatever else. But in theory, everybody would have enough money for the necessities. And if you wanted to work, you don't get punished. You'd you would be motivated to work because it's like, okay, I have enough for the necessities. If I work, I'm only going to make more money. Why not? And it would be a much better system than what we have now where we have all these government departments and all, you know, and we basically would give people tons of motivation not to work. And so, I mean, that's just one idea to throw out there. Like Steve and I talked about earlier, anytime you're on the government tit, like, you know, that uh, it comes with strings attached and, and, you know, um, eventually it, it, it could be a bad thing. So, but again, like we do have a huge, uh, homelessness issue, poverty issue. And, and it's like, how, how do you resolve this? Especially a country that's rich in resources and money. And, and, uh, you know, the, there's no reason why we can't help some of these people. And a lot of times, you know, like that saying, hurt people, hurt people. Like a lot of these people who are committing crimes, addicts, you know, they're criminals or have some type of, uh, emotional or mental uh, issues, they're victims. You know, they're also victims of their environment. And, um, you know, I was just talking to a friend of mine who works at a, a alternative school, and he was talking about this this kid who came in was like, you know, just a real handful. And they're, they're like, hey, you're gonna have your hands full with this kid. And he he talked to him, brought him, you know, um, they ended up having a connection, and uh, come to find out, this guy, this kid, saw his mom get shot in the head. Uh, while being robbed as a child, he saw this. He was in the car while she was getting robbed and got her head blown out. So it's like, obviously, there's a reason why this kid is, is the way he is. He's dealing with some serious trauma. And, uh, come to find out, they end up having a connection. That kid till this day still writes him a letter every month that tell him how he's doing and updates and whatever. And like, if you saw the emotion in, uh, my buddy, just, you know, you, he's like, this is what it's all about. He's like, this is, he's like, these are the moments you live for. And, uh, and I think we all have that in us. Like it feels good to help people. It does, you know, and it's really easy. I think the cop out is that, you know, Oh, just get your shit together. But I think things are much more complex than that. It's not that simple. It's not like, Oh, just, you know, we don't all start on, you know, this first base, you know, some people aren't even on the field, you know? And so, uh, I, I think it is a much more complex issue, and hopefully we can get deeper into those things. Anybody want to expand on any of the things I, I, I mentioned? Yeah, yeah, I'd love to talk. Go ahead. Whoever was talking before me, go ahead. Well, I, I was just oh, I was going to address the universal basic income. I think in theory it's a great idea, but I know they have a lot of plans for it. 
you know, they they want to kind of put it under the digital. Klaus has talked about this, and you all know Harari's talked about it, putting it under the digital currency, um, and they actually want to make it a caste system. So I I think that I'm I'm really really skeptical about you know any any UBI being implemented because I think that that's kind of the stepping stone because they'll have people opt into that and then they'll co-opt it into what they want it to be is a global UBI they ultimately want a global digital UBI that is you know that's basically a social credit system so in theory I think that you know it could be it sounds like a really nice idea, but I, I worry about what it would look like in practice, in practice, if it's implemented. Cause I do think it's kind of one of those things where they're going to make it really enticing. Like, look how many people this will help. I think I do agree with you though. That it's a really complicated problem. And one of the biggest problems I think is the mental illness. You know, there was a period of time where there were uh, institutions for mental, the mentally ill and that that's where they went. And, you know, I think it was back in the 80s where uh, Geraldo Rivera did a quote-unquote expo on them. And, and it was Reagan who did away with these institutions. And I think that was a huge part of, at, that, at least a big contributor. Because at least then there was a place for these people who, you know, I, I, I agree with what Lindsay said. A lot of the problem, it does boil down to personal responsibility. But then there are some people who are really not mentally equipped to take on that personal responsibility, whether it is drugs or, you know, schizophrenia or, you know, there's a whole host of problems that are really significant. And sometimes there are cases where these people can receive the help that they need in order to get back up on their feet, but it's not going to happen on their own when they're just out on the street. But I think that's an element that's really not being dealt with. And the worst of it is that it's now being completely confounded and conflated with, uh, you know, they, they throw them in jail and then, you know, they say there aren't enough resources for them in jail and then they throw them back out on the street and then they continue to commit crimes, which in some cases, not that I'm justifying the crime because I'm absolutely not, but in some cases that's a cry for help uh, because these people are really sick and they're not getting the help that they need. I don't really have, you know, the answer, but I think that there's a lot of policies that are being put in place that are exacerbating the problem rather than helping the problem. And I, I love what you said about, uh, Lindsay, what you were saying about the program that your parents had, because I do think that if there is some sort of accountability, then that really helps them because it teaches them the skills and it teaches them what is needed to be able to have the positive reinforcement to get themselves and their families back on track. And it also it, it builds their self-esteem. And, you know, a lot of them are so used to being, uh, and this isn't a judgment, but just, to, you know, I, I'm not trying to be pejorative, but a lot of them are used to being failures, that they don't have a concept of what that would mean to have success in their life and to take on that responsibility, and they don't feel that they're capable of doing so. But if they had some sort of a structure or program where they learned and they had the positive reinforcement to teach them that they are capable and that they can build, you know, take building blocks in order to get there, uh, I think that that's the most empowering thing that can be done. Um, but I think that there's, again, there's so many... Uh, policies that are just making things way worse you know in california we're seeing it's almost being uh incentivized to be homeless it's like this uh you know culture 
uh, phenomenon where they're out on the, these tents on the streets and it's like a festival on the street. And when I say it's a culture, I, I'm, I'm really only half kidding. It, it really is. It's kind of like a new Woodstock type thing. And that's certainly not productive. And then they're, you know, de-incentivizing the cops so these people can just run around, do whatever they want. They can, you know, steal and there's no consequences or minimal consequences. You know, they've uh, changed what a, a felony is and what, you know, the, the, the minimum of what you can steal before it, there are consequences. And I, I know because I experienced it when I was living there. It's part of why I left. You know, when I had things stolen from me and the cops gave me a really hard time about wanting to press charges, even though we're looking at the cameras, I'm like it's really clear what happened. They stole it right out of my hand. So I don't know. There's yeah, I don't necessarily have the answer, but those are some of my thoughts. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thanks, Sam. Uh, my universal basic income uh, amount, if anyone's interested, is 500 K. That's what I need just to basically kind of do my day. Okay. <laughs> so is that uh, daily? Is yeah. that daily? No, that's, or? That's, a, that's a year. I'm not agreeing. Ah, uh, okay. Hey, just man, asking. It's, it's just so, the uh, currency. Yeah. Um, I think it's nine hundred dollars you can steal before it's a felony. I think I, I read that somewhere. Nine, yeah, uh, I think it was nine hundred nine fifty. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I want to say that I did. Uh, I've done volunteer work uh, at two different places. The first place is a place here in in uh, Santa Monica called Step Up on Second, and they have a very uh, a variety of things. And they're housing first. They do what you what Justin was talking about in in uh, Finland. And they, what they did in this one place that I was uh, helping out at, which I thought was just a fabulous idea, they went to the VA. There was a abandoned building. They got some government funding. They went in with their money, the VA's money. They rehabbed this building and they brought in homeless vets. And not only did they give them housing first, they gave them other services th- that were available through the VA and other, you know, there was counseling and um, mental health. Um, drug programs. So, you know, when we talk about this stuff, I, I, what I've seen and when I talk to these guys when I, and women too, um, I asked I asked this one guy, I said, what, what's the difference between this and other things that, that, have, that you've done? He said, you know, people are listening to me. I, I, I have a connection to other people. And that was the big thing for him to be able to just sit and I mean, I didn't really do much when I went there except talk to people. That's That's really what I did. And now I'm doing some volunteer work uh, at a place called the People Concern, and, and Zach is in here. Uh, I invited him to come, uh, and they do great work. I do some volunteer work at their Access Center, which is basically just making sandwiches on Sunday. That's that's what I'm doing with a couple other people. But Zach has told me, and maybe we'll flip it over to him because he is uh, basically works in this field on a daily basis and. Uh, Go ahead, Zach. Take it away. I love you, Thanks man. Thanks for joining us, Zach. I really do appreciate it. Sure, sure. And, Bob, <clears throat> if you could put even peanut butter and jelly I, each I side don't. of the bread. I Nobody so... likes it. Did, did, did it come are... out that I'm sloppy? <laughs> yeah, a lot of lot of complaints, a lot of returned <laughs> PB&J. Um, but I'm sloppy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I've been working in uh, homeless services in the west side of Los Angeles for the last 12 years. And um, I have a lot of experience with um, people living on the street, seeing people get into housing through housing first programs like Justin was was uh, describing. Um, 
And, you know, one of the things that I think, you know, I, I liked at the beginning, everyone was talking about, you know, we're all one bad decision, one, not even one bad decision, you know, cause it's not necessarily on you if you get hit by a car or have a medical issue that, that causes you to lose your job. And it just depends. A lot of the people that I um, have worked with come from fractured backgrounds where they don't have someone they can stay with when they, they go on hard times or their backgrounds are a family that just can't handle bringing another person in or they're the families in subsidized housing and they can't have somebody come in to their apartment while they're, um, while they, they would be breaking, breaking their own lease to deal with somebody. So I think it's, um, you know, we live in a, in a, especially in LA, but a lot of the places that have the worst homeless problems are very high, high rent areas of the country. It's where the living is the least affordable. So for somebody to get back on their feet in a place like the west side of Los Angeles and be able to afford an apartment or even a room off of Craigslist is going to take quite a bit of income. You know, it's going to be be really hard. And if you're on the street to get out of that situation and be in a place where you can go to, to a job regularly is going to take a while. So I'm a real believer in giving people an opportunity to improve their life. And I think that um, it People do have to do some of the work themselves. You cannot push somebody through all these programs, but they have to have an opportunity. A lot of times people have given up, really, really, really given up. And I think it's oftentimes people feel like they've been given up on as well. Um, and so when you are, you know, have, have people literally treat you like you're a piece of garbage on the ground, it's hard to feel good enough about yourself to accept help. And a lot of the people that we work with come from really traumatized backgrounds. Um, one night on the street, and I'm, I'm, I don't know if anybody else has spent one. I know Lindsay was talking about having had to spend time on the street. One night on the street is going to be pretty traumatizing for anybody. Um, sleeping and not having security, you're automatically your cortisol levels are, are up and you're in a fight or flight state of mind. And you're not going to be able to really, really pull yourself together and, and make things happen because you're just about survival from day to day. And, um, you know, I often tell my clients, you know, you're, <laughs> you make it really hard to advocate for you. The way you act sometimes makes you, <laughs> you're not doing me any favors by taking a crap in someone's, you know, alley. And, um, there is a serious, serious mental health crisis in our society. There's a serious, serious drug and alcohol crisis. Um, these are, I, I think we have learned over the years that moralizing things like mental illness and substance use is not really the best approach to reaching people. The two things that have to happen for somebody to get out of homelessness, they have to have a resource to get into, to get off the street, they have to have somewhere to go and they have to change their behavior, right? You have to have behavior change in order to get out of the situation. Anybody here who's tried to like go to the gym more often, stop smoking, stop drinking Diet Coke every day, Bob, sick with the, that Diet Coke, that guy. Um, you know, switch from <laughs> full fat Budweiser to Bud Light, like anything you've ever tried to do, it's really, really hard. The next thing you know, you're just doing the same old, same old. And um, behavior change is one of the hardest things that any person can do. So it does take behavior change. It's still shocking to me after 12 years when you offer somebody an opportunity to go inside 
how hard it is for them to take it. You're like, why wouldn't you just take anything that came by? You know, you have to walk a mile in someone's shoes to understand why they do what they do. Um, and so I think there's a real crisis of empathy with our homeless <laughs> community and um, people in order to understand what's happening for that person who's a human being, you'd have to understand that this is something that could happen to you. And it's so terrifying to see people living like this in our society. I have kids and, you know, um, I go to my kids' school and talk to the their friends about homelessness. And I had a kid, a little kindergartner asked me, are they like zombies or, you know, it's like they, they feel like they're living in a, a different type of human reality, but they're not, you know, there's 60,000 people living on the streets in Los Angeles. It's, it's not um, a mutant gene. <laughs> um, it's a societal structure that has created a slipping point where people can fall through um, for lots of different reasons. So. I, um, you know, when I listen to everybody talk and I see what's going on, I think this is an, uh, an issue where people need to understand that the only way this thing gets fixed is through money. And, when, you know, I like Carrie Lake, but now that I heard what you said, it kind of makes me question, you know, her role because, you know, there's this notion that like democratic cities with democratic politicians have caused a lot of chaos and there is some truth to that but the reality is especially like if we take new york city uh you know giuliani didn't solve the homeless issue you know what he did he put homeless people on buses and shipped them to chicago la other cities so it looked like he's tough on crime and he's doing something this issue has to be dealt with 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 money. Unfortunately, you have people running on less government, less this, less that. You're going to pay for it one way or the other. And it's either going to be through helping these people get off the streets or it's going to be locking them up in jail. And I would much rather help people get off the street and take care of their responsibilities. Reagan did a giant disservice. I can't stand when people act like that guy was a great president. And I must say, they just like do the shut down these mental facilities that help people get off the streets is just so devastating. And so many people like, like as I, you know, I had a problem with crystal math and speed. I'm open about it because I want people who, st- who struggle with to know that they can get out of their own way. I did it, and I want, you know, I know there's some people on here that have struggled with it and stopped. And I, um, I just want people to know. But man, I see some of these people come into the, like these recovery meetings, and they're deep in their psychosis, and that scares people. That really scares people, and it makes it really hard to reach out to them when you think that they might just snap on you at any point and i just feel that like there needs to be compassion and i'm just sorry to everybody who wants more fiscal uh fiscally sound policies this will be paid for one way or the other it will be paid for in a a humane way which is getting them off the streets getting them housing or it's going to be paid in a bad way which is more prisons and more cops and and them stealing your stuff and all that so I think we have to real have a real discussion. Is like as a as a society, as humanity, how can we help these people? And there are people that don't want to get off the street, and that's another discussion. What do you do with those people who don't want to get off the street? But I really want to help those 
who want to help themselves. And some of these people are like honestly born to a world of shit, man. They just, it's like they come out of the gate two strikes against them. And I, it just breaks my heart because as crazy as my parents were, you know, and I love them. They did a great job, but I was so blessed to have them. Not everybody gets that. And sometimes you grow up to a place where, you know, you just weren't given the skills to 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 be able to function in society. And it's really hard because it's super traumatizing. And I just think we need to have a real discussion on, on like, this could get paid for one way or another. And I'd rather pay, like, how much money do our taxes go? I mean, we know that a lot of it goes to pay off the Federal Reserve interest rates. But some of our state, what do they go to? They, they go to roads. Okay, that's great. But don't we want to have uh, have cities where they take care of people that might fall through the cracks and be able to take care of them, help them get off the streets and become a functional part of our society? And I would love to hear if anyone has any uh, any well, thoughts on that. I would love to share actually this documentary that was done in Seattle called Seattle is Dying. I don't know if anyone here has seen it. Uh, but it was really excellent because they went around and they interviewed a lot of the homeless population. They saw a lot of these people who are really desperately needing help like we've been talking about here they're deeply addicted to drugs they're going in and robbing sometimes the same stores over and over and over one guy was bragging that i think he was like oh yeah i've been arrested 60 times they just let me right back out again and here i am you can't stop me like the you know like you said so i'm deep in their psychoses and uh and it's sad right even if some of these people are saying they prefer this lifestyle and they'd rather do that you can see that they're suffering and that it's the drugs talking and that they actually probably would some part of them at least would like to feel better and, and be better. Uh, and they went into, so the first part of the documentary is just them outlining these problems, right? And just how bad it's getting in a lot of these cities. The second half of the documentary, however, went into the solution or a possible solution. And it actually turns out that it's cheaper. It is cheaper than doing the biohazard cleanup of all the needles and the feces and the, whatever else is on the street. It's cheaper than trying to deal with all of these people who are causing all this damage around the city and stealing all of these goods and causing business to go down and, you know, services to go down and all of this economic chaos. It's cheaper to take these buildings. We actually already have them because when they were shut down, the buildings didn't go away, right? When Reagan took away the funding, like the buildings are still there and a lot of them are empty. And in Seattle, actually, specifically, there's one huge, massive institutional building that is just empty and it could be used to provide housing and counseling and also the, you know, programs where they get the drugs that aren't heroin or whatever to help them step down off. I forget what those are all called, but you guys know what I'm talking about. And when they see these programs in other states that have instituted this policy of instead of putting you in jail, instead of punishing you for your mental illness and your addiction, we're going to give you this option. You can go get free housing over here. You just have to go to counseling and get off drugs <laughs> and we'll support you in getting off drugs with these chemicals. And they've seen this. Um, it was like 40 to 80 percent depending on which program you looked at, a success rate, that's insanely huge. Yep. That's ridiculously – and this anybody can go watch this documentary. It's really good. It, it applies to everywhere, not just Seattle, obviously. That's just where it was focused on. Um, but I love it because the whole point, to your point, Sam, is that it's actually cheaper to do that. It's actually cheaper to give them this support and this help, and it's effective. Yeah, I think um, Ricky might know this, but – didn't Portugal implement a drug treatment program uh, that, like, reduced their heroin problem, like, 90%? They, they legalized it. They legalized, decriminalized it. 
And didn't they also, but part of the decriminalization was you had to go and get dosed with fentanyl, I think, so that you could be productive. And they had some really huge uptake in productivity amongst people who'd been addicted to heroin. Uh, I think that there isn't one solution to this problem. I think to even try to implement a single policy or single agency solution would make the problem worse. Uh, we need a multi-factor approach. It, I think that at least I live in Southeast Asia. I deal with a lot more poverty than you guys do. <laughs> uh, we make your problem look trivial. And uh, the government really doesn't help. The only way we manage the problem here is starting at the family unit sometimes. that that That's actually failed quite a bit in the last 20 years because of uh, people leaving the country to go abroad. It, it makes the problem worse. Uh, the next level is the community level. Uh, th- that's actually where the best solutions occur, and it's not run by the state. It's it's actually grassroots. The state's not involved at all. Uh, the next level above that is probably the the government level, and like I said, it, it, they really don't help the problem. They, if anything, what I've seen is it, here at least. I, I don't think this is necessarily a problem in the West, but here what happens is that the aid that was supposed to go to the poor ends up going to family members or extended family members. Uh, The same thing happened under COVID. Uh, Billions of dollars went other places. Uh, So, yeah, I I think a multi-factor approach is is the way that it has to be done. And I I think at least in a place that still has some sense of family, it has to start there, and then it has to go up to the community. And if the state can do something productive or if an institution can do something productive, why not? Yeah, man, I absolutely agree. I I was thinking that it's really great to hear that there is some evidence to support that. I think that the, I mean, definitely the family would be the first place, but I think it's also why, partly, not entirely, but I think part of why the problem is so much worse in the cities. You know, I think that in, you know, more rural areas, you do have stronger family units, typically, not always, but typically, um, and you definitely have stronger communities. You know, in cities, people tend, uh, even though there's so many more people living so much closer quarters, uh, they tend not to know their neighbors. Whereas in smaller, uh, you know, more rural communities, they tend to be familiar with their neighbors. There does tend to be more of a family, uh, more community type environment and people step in to help each other in that regard. So I think that's a huge part of it is that a lot, of, in a lot of these places where you see such high homelessness, the, the family structures are completely destroyed. They they don't have family members that they can turn to. And that's a huge part when a lot of times when people have hard times, what happens, I mean, it's the big joke that they live in their parents' basement, but at least they have their parents' basement to live in. You know, that's a, it's obviously not the ideal situation. We would like to see people spreading their wings and, you know, making uh, lives of their own, but at least they have their parents' basements to go to. And in a lot of these cases, they don't. They don't have parents' basements or grandparents' basements or, uh, you know, or even community members who they can turn to. And I think that's a huge part of the problem. And I think that part of, 
I think a huge part of rectifying the problem would be a return to communities and having community programs because I, you see that too with, uh, you know, a, again, not that there's never corruption in these environments either, but, you know, a lot of times when you see, uh, like maybe religious organizations who will take on, uh, causes and, or different communities that take on, you know, a, a cause for their community, they have much more success than when a government program tries to step in. It's usually the people who have had much more success trying to help others and take, take on causes in which they're passionate about. Uh, like, like both of you volunteering, I'm sure you've had, you know, a lot more success than, Necessarily, then e- even if a state funded it, you know, it's the people ultimately who are going to make a difference. I think that's part of the problem. And I, I don't necessarily know a solution to that, except that maybe there could be awareness in communities and people can get together and make, you know, take on causes like if this is one that's, you know, something that uh, people are passionate about and reach out to their communities and start a group and see what you can do to volunteer outside of the state. You know, not a state-funded program, but that might be a way to help. To that point, um, and let me know if my audio is okay because my camera is a little weird. I had to reboot and all that coming on. It looked laggy. You um, got a lot of echo. It's audible. It. Sorry. I don't even know. Uh, at any rate, um, I was trying to get Keith McHenry to come on. He's a good friend of mine. He founded Food Not Bombs in uh, 1984. Um, and the state, uh, to, to Matthew's point, the state has criminalized homelessness in most parts of the country. It's technically illegal to be homeless. Uh, uh, and it's also a crime in many places to feed the homeless. Um, the, the state has gotten in the way of solving, I guess, all of our problems. But in this particular instance, you can hold it up as, as kind of uh, the paramount of waste domestically. Our, our military is, you know, our, our biggest waste overall. But domestically, if we're trying to spend on people, that's where the most amount of grift takes place because all of the money tends to go to uh, a brand new organization that pops up that will help solve the problem or new bureaucracies that arise that you then have to staff and fund and pay for. And by the time it gets down to handing out the actual services, there's three cents in a pack of chips and that's it. Um, So I, trying to do this directly, not via necessarily charity, um, because it really doesn't make up for what you can do uh, as a community focus, but trying to do it in a way that eliminates the state, but incorporates uh, the ability to give people an address, because that's what they need for a job, an address, but in a lot of cases. and uh and some you know something to work for right because most people don't really have if you're homeless you don't really have much to work for what are you gonna do go out you're out you're out all day that's all you are is out you know it's so you have the purpose and and somewhere to call home are are vital to all of this and i'll stop my 
echo now. I, I also want to say that there's a lot of dark forces that are at work here. You know, we've been through a year where we heard nothing about supply chain issues. There's nothing about supply chain issues, you know, but doesn't seem to be any problem with getting liquor in the liquor store. I've never heard anybody showing up to the liquor store going, yeah, the shelves are empty. Can you believe this? Ah, supply chains. Fentanyl seems to be getting in left and right. Heroin seems to be getting in left and right. And, you know, and I know there's been a homeless issue for a long time, but it really seems to have exploded over the last 20 years with, you know, uh, poppy fields in Afghanistan and all that stuff. And we all know about the, um, what's that family? Sicklers, the Secklers who, who, um, who 100%, um, with Oxycontins and did damage to us, got a lot of people hooked up onto these things. So, you know, this seems to be like more like uh, almost like a trying to destroy us from the inside situation that we have to have a real, real compassion for these people because things supply is just everywhere. And it's so hard to take contrary action when you're just not happy with where you are in your life. And there's drugs and alcohol everywhere because your area is being flooded. Uh, one of my acquaintances here, an American, uh, he passed away right before COVID. But I got to know the guy over 20 years. And he wrote an essay for the government of, uh, not an essay, a research paper for the government of Taiwan like 30 years ago that uh, called the drug problem in the U.S. the reverse opium war. I totally agree with that. Yeah. Well, it well, does uh, seem. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say it does seem intentional. Like Sam was saying that we're being intentionally destroyed. You know, after we talked about the institution being closed to support mental illness, we saw during COVID, and since then also this massive, um, you know, putting people who are violent offenders jail back out on the street, and then oh, lo and behold, they go and murder people. What a surprise! Uh, but this is all being done intentionally too, and the drugs that are being let in being done intentionally uh, because then we destroy ourselves, right? No one has to do it for us um, or force it on us. By the way, just as a, a PSA, my friend got some CBD oil uh, from a barter fair uh, and it was laced with fentanyl and he had a fentanyl overdose. So I, it's apparently making its way into what? like every, yeah, it blew my mind to hear that. Um, Does that mean they're right about the rainbow Skittles? I guess so. Like, watch out for Halloween candy, right? Like, I I was always like, why would you ever put free drugs in anything? Like, don't, <laughs> do people have to pay for that shit? Like, I have to pay for it. No, it's to, it's, it's to get you hooked. It's to get you hooked. They they do that here. Put it in your cigarette. Put it in your alcohol. Try to get you to become dependent on it. Which is weird because he just overdosed and like never ever would want him to try it. Never gonna go back, but. So I just want to say that as a PSA and that all of this is being done intentionally, but I just want to uh, reinforce that community level action that, that Steve and Courtney and, and some of us have brought up that um, the programs that helped my family the most were that the, the grants that my mom got was a small group of women in the community we lived in putting together their funds to give to other women to help them out of poverty. Uh, it, nobody was forcing them to do that. It wasn't government run. Right. And then the food bank that we had, usually community oriented, but ours is the best food bank I've ever been to since <laughs> I've been to a lot of food banks. Uh, and this one not only was always really well stocked, but there was a community garden. So the community would come volunteer their time to 
grow all of this food. So we got fresh produce, which is super rare, right? We talk about like food deserts and that there's not food for poor people and, and these things. And we had fresh organic produce because of this. So the community level is really where it's at and where amazing things can be done for very little. You know, how many people had to volunteer just a few hours here and there to make all this food? Uh, it was really beautiful. Well, guy, I want to ask uh, Zach and Jenston, because I know you guys are doing a lot of work on the streets, uh, working with people. If there was an idealistic way of doing this, if you were put in charge with, let's just say, imaginary unlimited budget, what would that program look like? Mic drop. Yeah. Um, well, first I would give Bob his 500K for sure. Bob, he's got to move out of the trailer for sure. Um, you know, I mean, I think that there are, and I love what people are talking about, about getting the community to care more and put in. And it's, it's unfortunate. It seems like when things are brought that might help, the, the community usually rises up to say, not here, somewhere else. So <laughs> I would like to see the community be more supportive of things. Um, the, uh, I, I think that a lot of these housing, housing first, I think is a great concept. And what happens is it's utterly bureaucratically slowed down. It's way more expensive to build affordable housing than it is to build, um, standard housing because of the bureaucracy that's involved, which is insane. Um, and it should be easier, quicker to put up. Um, and on the other end of it, the money should be there for the services that people need to live in a healthy community. And I think like Bob is saying it, people who give feel better about themselves too and feel a better connection. My, my kids go to a, uh, used to go to a daycare and they were talking about building homeless housing down the street and the, the director pulled me into his office and was like, Hey, do you think I should try to fight against this? I said, I don't, I think you'll lose. You could try, but you might want to think of a way to start a garden with the kids in the daycare and family members that are there. Because if you feel like you're a neighbors with somebody, you're less likely to, to do something bad to them. If you have a friendly relationship with somebody, simple stuff like that. But I, you know, I, I don't, I'm, I don't pretend to be a policy wonk. In any way, you know, I think that the biggest problem we have <laughs> towards this is this is a human made problem. So therefore there has to be a human solution, human made solution to it. And I don't think the will is there for people to, to give up. Like, how come that person gets something for nothing? That's what I always hear is that why should they get that when they haven't done anything for it? And I think we have to kind of squelch some of that, it, that instinct to feel like why did why why did they get that um you know and 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 because i hear that so much from people and i think mostly what needs to be done is changing people's mentality the money is there the programs could be there the everything could work out if people would support things and be more fans of each other <laughs> and open well, their hearts we, we to don't. each other we don't use that logic whenever we're fixing something in our house that might be a danger. Like we invest to protect ourselves from danger. We fix our roofs if they start to leak. 
it's the same thing when it comes to your community. We have a great deal, probably about 50 people within my local area that don't own property. They squat on other people's property. Well, we interact with them in a friendly way because we also know that they are the pickpockets and the cell phone snatchers and like, well, we don't want them to target us. And in fact, if we do get a cell phone snatched, more than likely they know the people who snatched it and we can get it back. There's a great article uh, I read years ago, and it was uh, Douglas Ruskoff who told me about this whole uh, Levytown, the first suburb in America. It's called The Controversial History of Levytown, America's First Suburb. And this kind of is linked to the whole community discussion because it was like this idea of basically making people dependent on grocery stores and the system and, you know, not your neighbor. And I live in a, uh, I'm Portuguese and I live in a little uh, Portuguese community. I remember when I first moved into the house, uh, my lawnmower wouldn't start immediately. I had my neighbor coming over with his lawnmower being like, Hey, do you need one? You know, you can borrow, you know, that's, that's the type of community we live in. And it's the type of community that they grew up in. And, you know, I was born in Northern Portugal where everybody had huge families. Everybody took care of each other. Everybody looked after one another. And this is, I mean, this goes back to like the conspiratorial, uh, discussion about like they are trying to take people apart they're trying to uh just completely get rid of churches communities uh families anything that brings people together where we can take care of one another and it just makes us more dependent on the system this kind of also goes back to the universal basic income where now i'm arguing myself because this kind of also highlights the idea that like okay we're going to get dependent on the government instead of the community. And then now, you know, you're you basically they can cut it off and say, hey, you know what? Get the shot and you can keep getting your money. Get, you know, they they basically have you by the balls. So and there's a lot. I think, again, what makes this discussion so complex is that there's a lot of reasons why there's homelessness and there's poverty. And it it almost seems like. Could we ever have a society where there is, there is the homeless and there or, or the poverty and the rich and and you know or could we just have middle class and the rich and remove you know maybe it's not even possible and uh, but you look at like the three strikes and you're out rule during um, the Clinton era uh, that caused a lot of single parent homes which obviously people know will leads to you know the chances of you getting locked up or getting in trouble are much uh, more likely. Uh, when you look at like just, uh, the pill epidemic and like the suburbs, you know, leading to, you know, kids being addicts and, and stuff like that and being out in the streets, you know, that, that you can kind of point the finger, uh, at big pharma and so the government. Um, so it's like there's a lot of, you know, victims and there's a lot of, uh, people that are responsible for those victims. So it, it really is a, a super complex, uh, solution. But I also think this goes into the fulfillment thing, right? Like we, we're, we're kind of building a society and this is a discussion that I, I love having, uh, because I'm really passionate about. Uh, I think we tell people that happiness is just getting a bunch of ones and zeros in the bank account and and getting all these material things and if you take that path you'll be happy and you'll be successful and i think a lot of people take that path and they realize like it's really unfulfilling and they're unhappy and uh and you know i think that's kind of almost the root cause of a lot of people's issues is that they they do the things that they're supposed to do you know they they regurgitate information in school go to a good college um 
you know, buy the uh, expensive car, big house, and then they're like, I'm, I'm unfulfilled. I'm not happy. And then maybe that substance is, is a little bit of happiness that they need, you know? And, uh, so it's, I think it is a deep rooted, uh, issue and, and there's a lot of causes for it. And I know you guys, I was listening when you guys were talking about Portugal. Um, yeah, they decriminalized all drugs in 01. They, they actually were, were very, uh, ballsy in the way they handled it because the, what the politicians did is that they went to, uh, the experts and they're like, listen, we don't care what the solution is. But we have a, uh, you know, a, a needle problem and we have all these issues. You tell us what the, what the solution is and we'll do it regardless. And they came back and they said, decriminalize everything. And they're like, whoa, I guess, I guess we're going to have to do it. And they were kind of looking at it more as a medical issue instead of a criminal issue. Instead of just locking somebody up for having a substance, they're looking at it as like, okay, you have the substance because you have a problem. Let's get you help. And, um, which, they saved money and, and, uh, you know, and this goes back to like, you know, I had a Portuguese person that I knew that's like, oh, that's not true because I've been to Portugal and I haven't seen, I didn't see addicts all over the place. I'm like, this is the myth, this idea that you decriminalize everything and all of a sudden there's going to be addicts everywhere. It's like, you've, n- something being illegal never obviously erases it from the face of the earth. It still exists. And that's not the reason why people do or don't do something. It's not like, you know, Oh, I can't wait for a crack to, to be legal so I can start doing something. It's, it's, that's not how it works. So it's uh but it, it was, again, it, I know a lot of people also make the argument that Portugal is a very small country. It's, it was a, a good sample size for kind of this experiment, but maybe it wouldn't work in a bigger country like America. I, you know, and, and I, I see that, um, debate also i see that side of it uh you know i i I don't have never used substances other than coffee (laughs) uh but i've been an advocate for decriminalizing drug use uh because i just don't see how it's ever worked uh to criminalize it and what i've seen is it just drives the price up and it makes it more profitable the the recent uh, anti-drug activities here in, where I'm at prove that in spades. Uh, they were supposedly, you know, executing people extra judicially. You know, it didn't work. It, it just drove the price up. More drugs hit the street. It seems to me almost like criminalizing drugs actually is a money-making scheme. It's almost like the the government sneaks the drugs in. I mean, yeah. Well, hey, I'm not going to name names here, but within within six months after this major quote unquote war on drugs, uh, they they caught a magnetic lifter in customs. You know, one of those things they use at a junkyard, right? And someone had disassembled that and put methamphetamine on the inside of it. And guess whose name was on the receipt of the ledger but the president's son. So, how... It might have been a mistake. (laughs) Yeah, it must have been. (laughs) Someone with the same name. (laughs) So, yeah, I I think that it's, it's 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 a money making scheme. I mean, we've seen this. Uh, they, the intelligence services smuggle the drugs in, and they make money in the way in. They make money on the sales, and they make money arresting the people selling it and doing it. It's it's the whole way, man. But we have to. Well, say, it, you know, it, yeah, go on. You sorry. know, I think it was Steve. I was think it was Steve that said earlier that what was the organization uh, 
food not bombs. What was it? Yeah. That's yeah. Uh, you know, I'm not really for government aid on anything, but considering that we just sent a hundred billion to Ukraine or two hundred billion or whatever, what could you do with two hundred billion if it was properly uh, administered? domestically what could you do with that type of money <laughs> it's amazing what you could do with that type of these solutions i know sometimes we get into like does the government fix the problem does the community does the charity well they all lead to the same issues i mean there's you could there's plenty of examples of charities uh giving very little money to the people they're supposed to be helping and just filling their pockets and the governments do the same thing so it's like that's that's just a human problem there's there's there isn't uh a Either or it's like you're always going to deal with that problem of like somebody taking advantage of the system or the charity. And that's why community is so important, because when it is your neighbor, when it's somebody who's a family member or somebody close to the family or somebody nearby, um, that's real help. And that's, you know, somebody who actually cares. And so I think it's, uh, you know, much more important to to do that. And I, and, you know, to, to, to not to bring up the whole transhumanism thing, but I. To be optimistic, and I always try to be, I, I almost feel like that human connection, like it, it can't be recreated. You, you do see people, I mean, you can make the argument, you go to a bar, you go to anywhere, and there's everybody staring at their phone. Um, but they're still making the effort to get together with their friends because only being on your phone and not being with one another, uh, there's something missing. There's something that we need, uh, obviously for mental health. We need, we're social creatures. We need to be around each other. And um, so I'd, I'd like to believe that as much as they try to separate us, there's always going to be some deep rooted desire, you know, just in our DNA to kind of um, have some type of community. And or at least when we do have some type of community, we, we feel the best and we feel the healthiest and we feel the happiest. So it kind of pushes us in that direction. And, and hopefully, you know, that keeps us away from turning into robots. I just had a thought. It has nothing to do with this, though. <laughs> it does um i have a friend who passed away a few years ago named barry crimmins who was a political satirist and he used to talk about he'd say fuck the war on drugs fuck the war on crime we need a war on hopelessness so i was thinking about what if we had a draft for the war on hopelessness and it's mandatory and you got to spend two years being of service, kind of like the Peace Corps, but here in the United States. And rather than pay people to go over and, uh, you know, kill other people and do all that kind of stuff, I would sign up for that draft if I, even if it was voluntary, but it, it would be, you know, a, a wonderful thing to, to be able to harness that uh, high level of uh, energy and testosterone and estrogen that 18 to 20 year olds have. And put it towards some some good use rather than uh, destructive use. Sam, can you make that happen? You know a lot of important people, brother. Actually, a great idea. I mean, why should you only have to, you know, mandatorily serve uh, for the military to go commit war? Why can't you do it for your community? I think that would be great. Two years of helping other people out, get back on their feet and get it going. I think it's a great idea, Bob. Plus, it also does something else. It gets people who don't know what other people are like in other communities to be less divisive because they get to they get to meet people that aren't like them. 
And so it opens up a whole humanitarian piece to, to our society. And, uh, you know, but all I'm doing here, let me just say this. I do a little volunteer work. I just mm-hmm. try to keep my own little thing, you know, do a little something. It's, it's a little bit, but if everybody does a little bit, I think that's a nice thing, you know. That, that's all I'm doing. I, you know, I don't have a big brain. I just, you know, I'm able to fold uh, sandwiches into a wax paper. That you're, you're nailing I, the happiness, um, you know, uh, equation though there, Bob, because what we've talked about so far is people need to be connected to one another. You know, families are ideal. Communities are also ideal just to know your neighbors, to know the people around you, to help each other out. This is part of what gives people um, that network of uh, that supports them, but um, it is Mental Health Day apparently today, World Mental Health Day, and that's our mental health is dependent on our connection with other humans. But also the the piece that you're nailing is that piece uh, that gives people purpose, right? That they feel useful and and needed to other people too. And we don't really get to experience that that much in this country because we often have this whole culture of like it's just me. I just need to get ahead, get all the money, get all the stuff, and as We've pointed out already in this discussion that doesn't actually lead to happiness. And there's another great documentary, and I swear I don't, I do more than just watch documentaries. But, uh, <laughs> this documentary is called Happy. Uh, it's really simple, and they and they go into rich, poor. It doesn't actually matter the money that you have after a certain amount, after your basic needs are met. So back to the universal basic income, you know, maybe that is something that would be good for people to have at least their needs met. But after that, it doesn't matter how much money you have. Your happiness actually tends to go down with more money. But what does have an influence on it is how strongly connected to your community you are, how much you feel needed, uh, what if you have a purpose or not, uh, and if you feel supported by others. And that's pretty much it. But that's what humans want. So we could be solving both of these problems with these community organizations. I I was trying to prevent bringing up Rat Park because I'm always bringing up this experiment because I think, but it, it's so uh, appropriate to bring it up right now. Yes, yeah, it's a it, great one. Yeah, I mean, so I'm I'm sure some of you guys are familiar with it. You know, they had these mice in a cage. They had water with some substance. I'm gonna say cocaine maybe, and then water without the substance. They kept coming back to the water with the substance. Eventually, end up dying. And then these Canadian scientists and psychologists are like, well, let's create this giant warehouse rat park where they can roam and they have their natural habitat. Let's recreate the whole experiment because one thing we didn't consider was the cage has become a part of the experiment. So they recreated the experiment. Uh, They came to the water. They went away and they never came back. And they had other mice to play with, that places to climb and whatever. So what they learned was that it wasn't that the substance was addictive and that's why they kept coming back. It was because they were unhappy and that substance was giving them a little bit of happiness. And then when they had other places where they could find happiness, there was no need for it. So I think a lot of times we look at uh, the substance and we blame the substance for everything. It's like, oh, they're addicted to that because, oh, yeah, that that's just an addictive substance. But why is one person doing it? And maybe can do it every once in a while at a party or, or try it once at a party and never touch it again. And somebody else tries it at the same party and ruins their whole life. And now they're a addict. And so it's like, it's not, it's not as simple as it's just the substance. So, and this goes back into what we're talking about. Just like people who are unhappy, unfulfilled. We've created a society where it's all about me, me, me. I mean, we talked about cities, right? Like, why mm-hmm. is there more uh, community? And, and a, a stronger bond in places that aren't cities. Well, that's because I think maybe I could be wrong, but it seems like people who, who 
are driven to go to cities are usually looking after themselves. Like they want to get ahead. They want to, they're looking to, uh, pursue a career they're looking to get a better job they're looking to you know so they don't really care about community it was about them in the first place so that seems like the type of people that cities might attract where you know people who stay in in their towns and and communities or maybe people who who enjoy that and think that's more important than pursuing some career in a city so that that could be a part of it too but yeah this all goes back to kind of the same discussion how important it is for us to remember we're social creatures and community is important and you know, uh, when I had Justin Wren on my show, uh, he, he says this all the time. It's true. He's like, uh, it's a, a, a popular quote. He says, if you want to go fast, you go alone. If you want to go far, we go together. And it's, it's, it's true. It's really, um, you know, a simple, but really important quote. Yeah. I want to add one thing to that too, is that people think of, uh, like hopelessness and helplessness as being a default and, and it's actually a learned trait. Humans by nature, are actually hopeful that that's because they're wired for survival and you really can't survive without having hope. So there's been so much of a uh, concerted effort to make the, uh, to make people helpless, to make people hopeless. That's not actually a natural state. And it's because we, people have been stripped of purpose. And I think a lot of that does come from like a city life, which is ironic, right? Because usually it's a transient place where people think that they have purpose, but what they really have is goals. That's not the same thing as purpose. And goals are fleeting, right? Yeah. You know, it's just when you talk about a materialistic type of uh, worldview, you know, people think about tangible things like our smartphones and, you know, having nice house. And certainly that's part of it, but even goals can be part of it. It's about, uh, you know, short-term kind of achievement. And that's materialistic as opposed to something that is a much more, uh, you know, e- eternal type of or a tra- trans- transcendental type of worldview. And that's something that we've been very disconnected from, particularly those who live in cities because they are in a very fast-paced lifestyle where they're conditioned to be uh, going after things that are ephemeral. And those things don't give, they don't lend themselves to purpose. They do atomize you from other people, including your own families and, uh, you know, from things that are going to give you a deeper sense of fulfillment and purpose. And I think that that's ultimately, you know, it's what everybody is saying, but connecting with others gives you a strong sense of, of purpose. It gives you a strong sense of belonging and need, and a sense of being needed and being of contribution. And I think that's something that ultimately we've been very disconnected from as a society. And I think that that's part of why people are so hopeless and they feel helpless because they're disconnected. So how can, how can you help if you, if you're atomized? And I, over the past two years, I think that that's just ramped up tremendously. And I think that's part of also why homelessness has ramped up because if you're not, when you think about a home, it's your, uh, it's your sanctuary for you and your loved ones. But if you don't have those that you're connecting to, you, you're kind of, you're, you don't have a, a grounding space, uh, emotionally. And that's going to trans- translate, you know, physically. So, well, you see with kids, like you, like you were saying, it's, we're actually designed to be happy and, uh, content. And I mean, I always say like my kids don't care if I raise them in a thousand dollar house or a million dollar house. They just want dad around, you know, and you, you hear, uh, parents talk about all the time how they'll book some, uh, amazing resort. Uh, for their family and then the kids find like somebody at the pool and all they want to do is hang out at the pool and they don't want to d- 
you know, do anything else. And it's like, they're very simple. They just enjoy simple things and community and friendships and being around other people. Um, and then I think corporations, TV, media, propaganda, some of the Edward Bernays techniques that we've all talked about, uh, many of times, uh, convince us otherwise. They convince us, no, like the, the path to happiness isn't those things. The path to happiness is material wealth. And, uh, and that's what you should be pursuing. And if you're not pursuing that, you're a lazy fuck. You know, it's like, stop being lazy. Go out there and, 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 uh, be a killer. Go out there and, and, you know, take that overtime and go out there. You know, we keep, uh, we look down on, on people who pursue hobbies or passion projects, uh, that get in the way of, you know, uh, pursuing a more financial, uh, type of wealth. And, um, and I know Thaddeus Russell, when he was on my show, he, he talked about this, how he thinks it's deep rooted in like, like our Puritan ancestors, how this idea that like work is always good, even if it's not fulfilling, like we still have that deep rooted in our culture and society where it's like work's always good. It doesn't matter if it's fulfilling. Who cares? Like you never say no to, to overtime. You never say no to more hours. You never. And it's like, well, those are some of the most miserable people I've ever met, you know, and um, and you know, I have a daughter and she's not dating anytime soon. But when she's ready, you know, we, like society's says if she has two boys she has a crush on, if one's a investment banker who comes from a wealthy family and the other one's a struggling musician, um, I would tell her like, hey, leave that loser and, and go date that guy. But uh, you know, he might be a, a piece of crap who's gonna treat her uh bad and the other guy might be a loving person who's pursuing uh, uh you know something he loves and does something he loves and might be mentally in a better place and, and um a much more st- mentally stable person. So it's like it's still in our, you know, society where it's like we, we value people based on material things and, and, and financial wealth. And, and it's like, well, you can be wealthy financially and poor with love and community and your friendships and all that stuff. So I think we, to, to quote, um, uh, Christopher Ryan, you know, we've been civilized to death. You know, it's like we keep, we have to kind of rethink, uh, you know, what progression is. We keep thinking like we're progressing, we're progressing. It's like, well, if people are self-medicating more than ever, if, if depression's going up, if anxiety is going up, then maybe we have to rethink what pro- progress is altogether. Well, I think that's been one of the philosophical challenges of the 19th and 20th century is we, we throw this word progress around and actually nobody can define what progress means. Uh, the French uh, futurist Jacques Ellieu said, that uh, progress in the mind of the modern person is to make a jet plane go faster. When he would say that it was making a plane go faster, but it was going nowhere. So I, I think that the word progress is a horrible word. I just I think usually also- progress means regression. <laughs> it's usually, <laughs> oftentimes when they say progress, I'm like, you mean regressing, <laughs> you know. Yeah, for real, or at least centralizing of power for some, for whatever reason, right? That that's what progressive means now. But um, I just also wanted to throw out this experience I had because I think we often think these mental health issues and this disconnection or whatever is just a problem with the poor or that's been thrust upon us by the government or by society and culture, and it just affects the poor or the or the lower classes. But uh, I lived in Bahrain and I taught the extended family of the princes and princesses, the royal family there. And uh, they, I learned, have just as much mental health issues in the same and they express in the same way as my students when I worked on a reservation in the U.S. 
and I'm not exaggerating in any way. They have the exact same levels and the exact same like ways of presenting it and the exact same depths of it and exactly as as sad to watch, right? And it's the same. It's it's interesting because on both sides of this extreme, you see the same exact results and same exact drug abuse levels and the same all of it. It just it, you know maybe they're luckier in that when they fall, when they have their drug, like Hunter Biden, like you've got a huge net, <laughs> you've got a lot to fall into. That's maybe uh, lucky and, and cool compared to being really poor and dealing with all these issues. But it is just really fascinating. This mental health issue goes beyond uh, money in another way. And it, and it really is much more about that. Do you have connection, right? Because when I looked into it, their their parents were just as um, you know, likely to abandon them and leave them without love and leave them without purpose and leave them without connection, leave them in their room with their nanny all day, every day for months at a time. And these things are really harmful. So um, it was just really sad. See, I didn't have a lot of sympathy for the rich until I had that experience. And now I have a lot of sympathy for them, too. They're just as fucked up <laughs> or more so, maybe. I will say, though, as a, a punishment before, you know, your your crack habit, your rampant crack habit being uh being put on the board of a multi-billion dollar energy company probably not the best solution you're just going to keep abusing if you keep having more and more resources to abuse which actually goes back to the point we were making a lot of the conversation as well that self-responsibility has to come into it and sometimes that is being that this is what happens to me when I do this over and over again. I actually want to stop doing this because I have nowhere else to fall. So maybe in a way us uh, down here closer to poverty have something um, better going on for us. I don't know. It's a harsh view, but (laughs) I've heard people make the argument that like Hunter and the sister that like leaving your diary somewhere that has all of these salacious things in it or a laptop that has all of this secret information that could take your whole family down is a cry for help. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I think absolutely. I think in some ways, uh, those that have the, the bigger net, I, it's just we, they're, they have less opportunity to hit whatever rock bottom is going to be for them. So they're more likely to just keep relapsing and actually not recover, not get help. Yeah. You know, um, and that is also what you ca- you trap fish in. That's what you what? Trap fish. You trap fish in a net. Mm-hmm. So nets right. are not just for safety. They're for capture. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So sometimes, I mean, for them, it's not for the individual. It just, in, in a way, the burden falls on the family. Uh, you know, in those communities, it's not as much felt by the bigger sphere, whereas you know, the uh, lower end of the socioeconomic strata there, because they don't have the net to fall into, it, it overspills into other families and other communities, the burden. Charlie, you've been quiet. You want to jump in on this? Well, yeah, I have been quiet. I, I saw when I was at USC in South Central Los Angeles um, going to college, and I would, we saw the van show up outside, you know, off campus and like the door, like the guy comes around, opens the doors and just tells her we get the fuck out. And all these people come up and we're like, what's going on here? Is are these people being, you know, were they at a, at a concert or something? And it was the mental institutions dumping 
their people on essentially Skid Row. We're a couple miles south of Skid Row where we were, but they were just unloading homeless people. And I remember uh, unloading mentally ill people that were now going to be homeless people, or maybe they had been before too. And I saw that and I thought, this this just cannot be a reasonable solution to this problem. And then they go, oh, we, we started asking about it. And they said, oh, yeah, well, there, there's some legislation going on. There's problems. They don't have the funding. And they're just closing these hospitals down. And they're just, they don't know what to do with the people. So they're just letting them out, like, slowly out onto the streets. And so, you know, we had, after you go there for a couple of years, you see the same people over and over again. And they tell you the same story when you're at Del Taco. You know, oh, man, I'm just trying to get up on my feet. You know, I, you know at like freshman year, you're super compassionate. You give me the money. Senior year, you're like, let me guess. And you, like, fill in the rest of their story as they're halfway through it. They're like, yeah. You're like, I've heard this thing. So I found myself, uh, and this is not a, a, a pretty thing to admit, but I found myself just becoming, like, out losing my compassion after a couple of years of hearing the same bullshit. And I, I, and that's a bad place to be, you know, when you recognize like you no longer have compassion for these people. Cause you know, they're lying, you know, they're lying. They're telling you a story and everything. And, and I felt like maybe that's kind of where we are as a society too. You know, there's a lot of people that are just sort of like, we've heard it. We're done. We've heard the story. Yeah. Yeah. Great. And and I never want to go there again. I never want to be in that place mentally where I'm I'm so where I've lost like a part of my humanity where I can't even see these people for being human beings. I just see them as like they were bullshitting me, and I felt like they were trying to take advantage of me. Well, fuck! Of course they're trying to take advantage of anybody. They are disadvantaged in this current incarnation of their life. Like where they currently were, they were disadvantaged. And I, I just, I, I felt like I came at it from such a shitty place, you know. Um, but, 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 but again, like to be fair to myself, like how many times are you going to tell me the same story, you know? And and I kept hearing it, and it was, and I really sort of had an, an awakening as to like this, this is a problem that doesn't, it certainly doesn't get solved when you close mental institutions, right? And, and I know that government is never a solution to it, but there is a segment of the population that needs help beyond what is offered. And prison is not a, is not helping. Okay. You're not going to prison to get better. You're going to prison to get warehoused. And so I, I like going through that experience myself was like a lesson to me in compassion and, you know, as you say, walking a mile in somebody else's shoes and things like that. I don't know. I just, I, I saw things a little differently. I went through like a whole range of emotions from like caring deeply early on to not giving a shit and being like pissed off that I was being used to like back full circle to caring again. <laughs> and that's kind of where I am now. I'm like, I, I don't, I never think government is the solution. That's just not on my list of things, but um, there sure is a lot of money flowing through government. And there are some components of this that I think money can fix in terms of can you make a place where people can 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 stay for a little while? Like Steve was talking about getting an address. Holy shit. Go go apply just as a joke, 
you know, go to the local fast food place and ask to fill out an application and tell, and then when it comes to address, just go like NA and see if you get anything. You know what I mean? Like if you don't have a place to call home or if you don't have an address, like you're sort of outside of the system and it's, it's very difficult. So I, I, I had to feel all those feelings. I had to feel like sad and then mad and then sad again and in order to, to, to really kind of, um, I don't know. And even, and I'm not even going to pretend that I know the homeless problem. I'm not going to pretend that I have full understanding of that. But from my own, like, view on it, it went through multiple, I, I felt different ways, to, you know, depending on when it was and, and going through that whole system. And now ultimately where I am right now is I just, I just, I just feel really, I feel bad for the people. And I feel bad that the wrong people are in charge of our governments that could look if you run a platform of I'm going to save these homeless people from a strategic campaigning point of view, they don't vote. You've got a you're appealing to a class of people that will, will never vote for you. So it's a losing strategy if you're just trying to get elected. If you're a compassionate human being, which most politicians are not, then then taking care of the homeless people is a great thing. But if you're running on that as a strategy, you may get some people that are like, oh, I like that. You sound like a nice guy. But you'll lose, and you'll never be able to get in a position to actually do something about it. So I think if we're waiting for politicians to fix this problem, we'll be waiting for a very long time. But we do need the money that they control. And if there's some way to shine a light on those politicians, the very few that are actually doing something good about this. That would be fantastic because they're certainly not going to get from a strategic standpoint, they're not going to get the boost that they need, you know, running for office by appealing to a bunch of people that, 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 that don't get ballots mailed to them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or you, you're just, you're, 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 you just need to, we need to, if we find somebody that in politics that's doing something good, we need to talk about them and elevate them and, 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 and help them if we can. But, but, um, but, but, but from my own personal experience watching this, I went through a bunch of emotions and some of them were not, you know, I did not feel good about myself for having. So I think, and I'm sure I'm not alone too. I think there's a lot of people out there that are, that have lost their compassion for the homeless people because They've had their cars broken into, and fuck those people. You know, you broke into my car and you stole all my shit. You want me to be advocate for you? Fuck you. I'm not going to advocate for you. You broke my stuff. So it's tough. It's a tough situation. But I think that if we if we're being honest, we have to understand that those people are, you know, the vast majority of them are, are homeless because it's just really screwed up, unlucky situations. Maybe it's drug abuse. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's just a family, and maybe they just lost the, you know, they just got a bad hand at life early on. But um, when we lose compassion for them, man, it's over. And that's why that that conversation I, I I hear it all the time because being a Portuguese immigrant, I have a lot of friends from Lebanon, from Italy, from all over the place, and they came from really poor areas, and they came here, and they you know now they're doing well. Some of them are even business owners or whatever. So they always make the argument of like, well, if I can do it, or if my family can do it, why can't these people do it? And I always try to like put in perspective, like it's not that simple because you have probably the most important element. You had community, you had a hardworking parents, you had some positive influence in your life. 
And that's the difference. Like they just look at as like, okay, we came from the same material wealth, right? Like they have nothing. We have nothing. Why are these Americans, you know, why can't they succeed the same way I succeeded? It's like, well, they didn't have a foundation to build a house. You had at least a foundation. So I, I think that's a part of the conversation because you hear it all the time. You'd be like, oh, these people mooching off the system or these people doing this, you know, and it's like, it's really easy just to find that exception to the rule of like, oh, I know this one guy who you came out of the whatever, you know, the, um, this poor city, you know, neighborhood and now he's doing it. Yeah. But it's like, that's not always the case. And it's like, he might've had maybe that one adult or that, you know, one person, that one, uh, just family member, somebody who gave a shit to like maybe instill something, um, inspire him in some way. And, uh, and then until you get that story and you find out like why he took a different road, a different path, uh, you know, you never know, you know, but, it's when you're surrounded by shitheads, guess what? Chances are you're, if you're a creature of your environment, you're going to end up yep. being a shithead. I coach, uh, uh, my son's, uh, soccer team and, 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 um, I'm constantly around kids. There's, I always say like, there's no such thing as sh- shitty kids. There's only shitty parents. And anytime I get a shitty kid, I meet the parents. I'm like, Oh, this is why they're like this. Like, you know, it's it, commonly if a kid's misbehaving, I'm like, Hey, go sit next to your parents. Guess what? That, what I hear back. My parents drop me off. They're gone. You know, and it's like, of course they are, because that's why you act like this, because your parents don't even care enough to sit here and watch your progression and see how you're behaving. So it's like it's just and if you talk to teachers, same thing. You you have a a kid who's misbehaving or having some issues. You meet the parents like, oh, I get it now. You know, so and and the unfortunate thing, it's a cycle, right? Because those shitty parents were probably raised by shitty parents, which, you know, Mm -hmm. created. You know, and it's just like, it just keeps going and keeps going and keeps going. I mean, I'm sure, um, the Jeffrey Dahmer thing is, is huge right now. Everybody's talking about Jeffrey Dahmer, uh, again, for some, um, reason. Uh, but look at his history, right? Like his mom was on a bunch of pills while pregnant. He was in a, a, a um, a very, uh, you know, the parents were always fighting. He had a, just a bunch of weird things that could contribute to the way he became, you know, and I don't know how much it contributed or how much it's nature versus nurture. But a lot of cases, you end up finding out like this person who ends up hurting somebody was also hurt in in some manner, either physically, mentally, or whatever, or both. Um, so, uh, yeah. So, the, you know, I guess I, I should probably end it with a question, but I just wanted to rant for a little bit. <laughs> I wanted to add to what Charlie was saying that uh, one thing we need to remember: if you're dealing with this political system that the West has, uh. You need to tell the people that you like that it's not okay to say negative things about the homeless or the poor and that the problem is not as simple as they'd like to state it. It's not that they're a bunch of lazy people. Uh, that they need to be reminded of that because politicians listen to their criticisms and they adjust their policies based on how they're being criticized. That, that's one thing to remember. The, the other is, what are we missing in the modern world is the commons. So the commons were the common land or the common resources that no one owned. Now, everything is owned by a government. So there's no place that someone can go and not be considered trespassing or, uh, you know, robbery. Or theft. The ancients had commons, places that no one owned, that the, 
the people who were disenfranchised could go there. So whenever we implement these modern super states, we're not leaving a space for the disenfranchised. Uh, if anybody knows the biblical idea of not harvesting the corners of the field, that there were pl- things that were left for the poor that they could get food. Well, if you're going to remove the commons from society, which has already happened, you have to replace it in some way because you're never going to get rid of the poor. That They're, they're always going to be here. Anyway, that, that was what I wanted to add. I thought Steve was going to tell a story. Oh, that's oh right. sure. Yeah, no, there was a, a mayor, uh, Justin Cummins, who ran on a platform because Santa Cruz, California, had just such a massive homeless problem um, to the point to where it was, like, sectioned off like a zoo. It really was. It was creepy right on an intersection. Anyway, um, and the uh, local business owners got together, and they were like, okay, so – Here's what's going to happen. Um, either you're going to bulldoze the homeless zoo and relocate them, or we're going to make sure you never have a political career. And he was like 29 years old, um, PhD, you know, all did, um, checked off all of the right boxes and all that kind of stuff. But he just got steamrolled by, uh, by the tourism board and by the local business owners. To the point to where nine months into office, he had completely bulldozed a couple of the different uh, homeless zoos. And then there was a brand new encampment that everybody was complaining about. And so the business owners decided that they would uh, help solve the problem by going down to the beach flats, making a deal with a couple of the Mexicans, getting a little bit of fentanyl, and then lacing a whole bunch of bags of weed with the fentanyl, uh, plenty of enough to overdose, and then just kind of throwing bags around all over the place at night to where where all of the homeless hung out. Uh, after about the, the, I don't know, 30th or 40th overdose, they had to comment on it, but the cops were, like, totally in on it and helping it out and, like, shooing random, you know, people away if they saw something, stuff like that. So uh, when you do try to run on uh, a policy or a platform like that, nine times out of 10, the local business interests are dead set against uh, having the problem solved in a visible way. That's the big thing. And this is something that my friend Keith will talk about all the time is that um, the NIMBYs, uh, all of the people who just openly shit on the home, all of that stuff, the, their biggest problem, especially if they have a business interest in the area, is that the homeless people are visible. And if they could just be invisible or homeless way, 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 way over there where there's absolutely no resources or anything like that for them, then it would be way easier. And so there's got to be some sort of a, uh, I don't know, like a come to Jesus moment where uh where business owners realize that homeless people aren't going to suddenly become invisible that putting them behind a cage 40 feet away from where your business is might keep people from coming into your business but it won't keep them from breaking into all of your customers cars 
It won't, you know, like there's just, you have to think it all the way through. And I don't, it's been a, a, there's been a lot of intentional roadblocks in that process. And the follow through is the difficult part. that funny that's the same thing that teachers do with problem students which is why we have alternative schools <laughs> they're like it'd be really cool if just all of you screwed up kids like just went away so I could feel more successful <laughs> right whereas I'm like put me in the alternative school that's where all the cool kids are like that, those are my people <laughs> this is who I, I know and I can understand well, I mean that's the other thing too there is a certain segment of the homeless population that is like yo dude I tried society it's not for me, it's not. And looking at, I mean, looking at the way that, you know, downtown San Francisco is or the cost of living in a major city or uh, what you have to do in order to get health care in this country and the hoops that you have to go through for that. Like, there's a valid argument there. They may not be like straight up Uncle Ted in it. And in some cases, that's probably a very good thing. But, you know, if the if people want to. X out of society like that, there should be like, there shouldn't be, we shouldn't be stigmatizing that as much either. And I think that there's like such a huge pull to have people that you don't want to still be a part of society because society is good because if society wasn't good, then all of our institutions might be bad. And if all our institutions are bad, maybe we're thinking about this whole thing wrong. So we at least have to have them here because if they go away and they're somehow happier or have a measure of success in their own minds, they're comfortable that well, other people might get that idea too. We have a lot invested here. So we've come to the conclusion that there is no conclusions. (laughs) Yeah. It's uh it's it's a complex issue. I mean, and that's the thing. I think the the beautiful thing about this discussion is that we've kind of highlighted that it's not as simple as like, hey, just stop being lazy or um, you know, all these really simple solutions that people are constantly uh trying to propose the idea of like, you know, oh, just the government can do it or uh charities can do it or what, you know, it's like, no, they all can lead to other issues. So it it is complex. I think the one thing we probably can all agree on is that I think looking, um, taking care of one another and taking care of your community and friends and family and people who live near you uh, and then building that those friendships is the most important thing, because those are the people who are going to look after you and and uh, have your back and then help you out if if need be. Um, but you know, people from the right, they, they make the argument that like, you know, charity, you don't need government. People will help each other. It's like, well, you kind of do see that. I think people will help each other more than, than we like to believe. We might not necessarily need a government to do all the helping for us. You know, it's like people do look after one another. Um, and, and typically they do, you know, as long as you have a community, but if you rip apart the community and you force everybody to, to work overtime and, and, you know, be tired and stressed and, and on a thousand pills, then, you know, you're just trying to get by, you know, you don't have a lot of energy to help other people, you know? And so, um, any last thoughts, any, any other, uh, things you want to expand on? Well, I, I think just to, to stick my mouth out <clears throat> again, uh, we need to reframe the way we look at solutions. Folks, there are no, if you mean by solution, one thing you do that actually ends the problem, there are no solutions. And you're going to hear me say this a lot. 
There are only answers to the immediate context you're in. That's all we got. And we have to adjust our strategy as the conditions change. We can change our mentality towards it. Mm. Yeah. We can, we can change the way we feel towards the people instead of absolutely shitting on them or putting them down. Like you said, Matt, we, we, like te- teach your children, don't be disrespectful to that person. You know, <laughs> you may be that person at some point. You know, this might not be a, it's not something that you're born into that you stay in there forever. It's constantly changing. Those people may rise up and get out. You may find yourself in that camp. So be very careful about that. I think the way we treat those people is more of a reflection of ourselves, really. You know, like the, don't be shitty to them. You wouldn't want them to be shitty. You know, you would, if you were in that situation, they've got enough going on. They don't need you treating them like garbage. Um, yeah, and fuck uh, Linktree. They censor and fuck Linktree as well, yeah. They, they censor, that too. Like, the, the timing could not be worse for their PR team. I mean, they censored a <laughs> shit that's trying to fix homelessness. It's like, you know, I'm just like, <laughs> I, look I, I was just going to say that um, I, I agree that there's, it's not a, like, one simple answer that's going to fix everything. But I think we need to be careful about looking things as just, like, an immediate reaction to uh to problems because i think particularly the political right gets very trapped in this 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 is kind of how the dialectic works is they they get trapped in something and then they're reacting to the immediate problem while the next line of attack is being fired and so i think it's just i think while there may not be like one one solution, you know, uh, one answer to this big prob- complex problem, I think we can take a more long range kind of a approach to it and at least uh, attempt to rectify some of the problems that we're seeing, you know, and some of the problems are things that are very kind of foundational, like the destruction of the family. I think, you know, really just restoring family values, restoring, uh, you know, uh, fundamental kind of values, traditional values would be a step in the right direction as a buffer against some, I mean, obviously that's not a solution for tomorrow, but in the long, in the long term, I think it will have some positive benefits, you know, trying to build communities again, you know, tomorrow that's not going to eradicate the homelessness problem, but it will ensure that there is more likelihood that people will want to be good to each other and that people will want to step in when somebody is falling and in a bad place. So, uh, you know, those are just some really basic kind of things that, but they're long-term and they're, they're paradigm shifts. And I think those are things we can do. So, And I think you make a really good point, Courtney, that, you shouldn't just act for the sake of acting. You should be thoughtful and mm-hmm. consider the consequences of the action that you're you're going to do because it can. Mm-hmm. Every action is going to have long term consequences. Totally, yeah. yeah. And some of the the most generous people I know don't have a lot of stuff, and the cheapest people I know have a lot of shit. I mean, it's uh, there was that um a video about uh has those my uh, hierarchies uh, hierarchy of needs and they had this guy pretending he was homeless and asking for food and like everybody kept ignoring him then there was this one homeless guy this other homeless guy who actually gave him some food and like sat down and like was asking him like oh what's you know where are you from or whatever and uh you know so it it, it shows that like you know i think 
we are designed to to help one another and care about one another. This idea that it's all about us. I mean, we feel our best when we're with other people. We're enjoying company. We're helping others. I mean, that's why Christmas. Obviously, it's it's a big marketing scam just to get people to spend a lot of money. But I think there is something to that. Christmas becomes that reminder that like, oh shit, it actually feels better to buy people. Uh, other people's stuff than buy myself stuff like this actually is is a, a nice feeling and because most of the year you're neglecting everybody else and um so yeah i mean i, I think we have to kind of remind and and be content with you know what, what we have i think we we live in this world where like courtney was saying like constantly having these goals i need more i need more i need more it's like well you know your your worst day is somebody else's best day and there's plenty of things regardless where you are there's plenty of things to be grateful for regardless what your situation is uh it could always be worse so um you know be grateful for what you do have you know and and help other people if you can you know so um yeah now this almost starting to sound like church <laughs> well, it is it is actually like statistically you're more likely to give more as a percentage of your wealth if you are lower in income and over, so because poor people get it, because you know, and people think that those are the dangerous people. It's like no, again, like those are those are our people. Like those are the people who are most likely to support us, give back to us, just like your story shows, Ricky. It's generally true, um, and we can all you know have more compassion as we've been saying. I just have this funny story because I stopped giving money, and I know a lot of people are like, you know, they want to buy drugs and they want to drink, and why shouldn't they? And I'm like, cool, but I don't want to give them money. And have it be used for drugs. That's just my personal preference. So instead, I had this rule for myself for a long time. I'd go out to eat quite a bit. Uh, and anytime I was leaving uh, and I had any leftovers, if I saw anyone who was asking for anything or looking hungry, I would offer them the food. And that was often really cool. But one time I was leaving with like the best leftovers I had ever had. And I like the best. I, I was like, this is so good. I was like, please, God, like, don't let me find a homeless person on the way to the car. I really want to keep this, but it's like in my value system that I have to give it away if anybody asks for it or, or says, so I was like, okay, if anybody, if I see anyone, I will, but like, come on, this one time, let me keep my leftovers. I walked out of the restaurant. I looked like three blocks up and saw someone coming at me. And I swear to God, I was like, he's going to ask food. I fucking know. I can feel it from here. <laughs> he doesn't even look homeless at all. I just can tell. And he gets closer to me and he's like, Hey, are you going to eat that? And I'm like, are you hungry? And he's like, I am. And I'm like, this is going to be the best meal you've ever had. Uh, and I did give it to him. And um, honestly, it felt better. It felt better than keeping it for myself and eating it again. I could go back to that restaurant and buy that same dish again. So, But I just think it's important that we don't get compassion fatigue when we're doing any uh, of the volunteer work that we were talking about earlier with the people who are already have left, whose names I forgot, um, that we do take care of ourselves too. Because if you are always giving, 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 then – you know, you can get to where Charlie was at, where you're like, no, go fuck yourself, right? Because you, you actually have to have enough, too. So um, I don't know. I just think all of that is important to take into account. We have to keep our own cups full to some degree, but also have that eye towards what we can give. Uh, and also respect ourselves to see that we give more than even Bill Gates, which I know we all know how evil he is. But a lot of other people think he's like one of the biggest philanthropists in the world, and he gives so much. No, as a percentage of his wealth, he gives less than any of us. We are more compassionate than he is, so more, more power to us. Lindsay Sharman is a better human being than the rest of us. You can find her at Rogue Ways. Uh, Lindsay, promote your show as we wrap this thing up. 
Uh, and day zero on Sundays. And Friday. day zero. Yeah. yeah. Um, Rogueways.org is the best place to go to get all of my stuff. I would send you to my link tree, but apparently I have to get rid of my link tree and go somewhere else. Yeah, fuck else link now. tree. <laughs> yeah. um, so <laughs> Rogueways.org is the best place. Rogueways is on Sundays and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. here on Rockfin and elsewhere, everywhere podcasts are. Uh, and Middle Path for supporters is on Thursdays at 7 p.m. Mountain. So hopefully we'll see. Speaking of censorship, somebody that can help you with your censorship programs uh, is Matthew Raymer over at ContentSafe. In case you're getting your stuff deleted, Matthew, please plug what you've got going over there. I, I tell you, we're growing like crazy now. I'm still getting Link, Lindsay's stuff synced up. She's a ContentSafe uh, subscriber, and um, I'm really enjoying uh, the work I'm doing with the community. ContentSafe.co. Uh, schedule an appointment with me. The first 50 subscribers have a lifetime membership. So, and we're running out of lifetime memberships. Uh, after that, we go monthly. There we go. Thanks. Get in while you can. Courtney Turner, what's cooking? How are you? I am doing well. I have my event on Saturday. So it's gonna, if anybody's in the Nashville area, I'm going to be performing an aerial acrobatic performance. I'm going to share my life story, talk about how movement has been a tool to help me overcome adversity. And Jay Dyer, who some of you know, will be speaking as well. Um, and you can find me at CourtneyTurner.com. It's like spelled like Courtenay. So, yeah. So uh, thank you. Yeah. So yeah, it's like Courtney Turner, and uh, you can find all of my content there under the section that says Aerial Speaking Events. You can find the tickets. There's also live stream tickets as well for those who can't make it to the Nashville area. So. As far as I know, Steve Poikinen will not be performing aerial feats, <laughs> but every morning, Monday through Friday, he is putting on the best morning show on the Internet. Right, Steve? <laughs> it's true. Uh, it's And you should watch it. You can find it on Rockfin and Rumble AM Wake Up. Uh, all of my social media is at Slow Newsday Show. Every Tuesday on uh, the Best Damn Morning Show on the Interrebs, we're joined by Ryan Christian, Last American Vagabond. Um, our, our own union's Midnight Mike is a frequent flyer. Uh, I believe he'll be back with us for a little bit this Friday. Ricky was kind enough to pop in. Everybody should come on the show. You should just hit me up while we're live. This is an old school radio kind of thing. You got some shit to talk. You're a friend of the you Pop in. That's what we're here for. We love it. Um, thank you, as always, gentlemen, for having me on the best ensemble podcast in the universe. I'm forever grateful and humbled. And you guys rock. Thank you. Thank you so much. Ricky Verandas, the Ripple Effect podcast is going to make Joe Rogan obsolete at some point in the future. I, I hope so, but only because <laughs> anything against Joe Rogan, but it just means that I can finally have that wealth to share and fix this homelessness problem. But, uh, there you go. Yeah, the Ripple Effect podcast.com. Uh, Matt from Content Safe. Uh, I'm also a, a subscriber, I guess you would call it, or a user of his services. Uh, you can find it on just about every video platform, or at least every popular one besides YouTube. Uh, and thanks to Matt, I uploaded it one place, and it's available on Rumble, 
Band.video, Rockfin, and Mines, and BitChute, and all the places you can find it. And then the audio is available everywhere. And then um, that's basically it. Yeah. And then if you go to to the RippleEffectPodcast.com, which Matt also built my website, so um, uh, Matt's been a huge help to to the show. Uh, you can find all the links to all the social media platforms I'm on, all uh, all the shows I do, including this one, and uh, much more. So definitely check that out. And the funniest show in the history of shows is OBDM. That stands for Our Big Dumb Mouth, and it's run by Midnight Mike and Joe uh, and Cretchen. We ask the important questions like, do you think cell phones are reading your mind? Is Chuck E. Cheese the nexus of all violence in America? Well, we try to answer those questions, and uh, (laughs) you can find us at obdmpod.com. We're live Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, then again on Saturday at noon. You can check us out. Uh, we're on D Live, Twitch, and sometimes Rumble. I don't know. We're, we're we're live somewhere. You can go to the website, and we have links. They proposed that Chuck E. Cheese's were all built on ley lines, and that that was where they were getting their their energy to to create all the fights that were happening in there. And I can't say for sure that he's wrong about that. Either. I'm looking into it's it. Def- it's I'm definitely actually, possible. I'm actually looking into it. I'm 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 looking into the founders of Chuck E. Cheese and their connections. So we'll find out soon. There's some dark shit going on there. Macroaggressions is available twice a week as an audio podcast, wherever podcasts are served, as well as being in video format on band.video, right here on Rockfin, Odyssey, and now Vigilante.tv, which is Jeff Berwick's platform. So you can check us all out there. And if you haven't, Subscribe to Union of the Unwanted as an audio podcast. Rate the show if you think we're doing a good job, and uh, and follow us on Twitter as well. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Great. We solved nothing, but I think we. we got, I, feel, I still feel like we did something. We had the conversation, and that's a good start. That's a start. Learned that animatronics are the root of all evil. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye. See you guys. Wasn't the founder of Chuck E. Cheese a part of the Rap Park experiment? Uh, I think he was actually part of Atari, but I'm looking into that. MK Ultra. MK Ultra Atari experiments. All will be disclosed soon. I'll Google that. See you guys. See ya.